All right, guys, welcome to the Salute of Baptist Church Youth Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Brandon, along with our special guest for the day, Levi. Levi, say hello to everybody. What's up, guys? Britton is not with us. He's not feeling well today. So uh, we're so glad that you could join us as we recap this week in our youth ministry here at Salute of Baptist Church. And before we go into our first segment, I want to ask you a question, Levi. All right. Have you ever had to fix something that was broken? Yeah. All right. So what's something that you had to fix that was broken? The sink. A sink. Yeah. You ever fixed the sink before? With some help. With some help. So how how much effort or resources did you have to put into fixing the sink? Um, Money and time. Money and time. So how, how much time did it take you to fix that sink? An hour. An hour? Oh, that's not bad. But probably how much money? $200. Yeah, that's not, I, I mean, I don't know how much it costs to fix a sink, but yeah. $200, that's not cheap, you know. But the idea of fixing something that is broken leads us into our first segment. So our first segment is the Scripture of the Week. This week, our Scripture of the Week is Nehemiah chapter 9. We've been going through the book of Nehemiah looking at how the people of Israel restored the wall around Jerusalem and looking at how we can learn from that, we can learn about our own restored relationship with God and how through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, God is rebuilding and restoring our souls, our, our relationship with Him. In Nehemiah, we, we see a spiritual picture where Nehemiah represents the Holy Spirit in our lives and how the Holy Spirit is constantly working at rebuilding and restoring us. In the first six chapters of Nehemiah, the focus has been on the restoration of the wall. But from chapter 7 to the end of the book, the focus shifts and is now on the restoration of the people. Last week, we saw how the people embraced the law of God, how they were listening to it, understanding it, and applying it to their lives. In chapter 9, we're going to see a deeper response to the law of God. Now, in our lives, when something is broken, whether that's a TV, a phone, a car, the first thing we often think of to do is replacing it. You know, if your AC goes out at home, you want that fixed and you want it fixed fast, and sometimes the easiest and the quickest thing to do is to replace it. The idea of, of rolling up our sleeves to repair something, that takes time, energy, and money. And sometimes it takes skill that we don't have. But repairing something always leaves us more satisfied than simply just replacing it. If you take the time to, to use your hands and fix something, you appreciate that thing more. And the people of Israel, they would know this all too well. They just finished rebuilding the wall that had been destroyed, and they did that with their own hands. Now before Jesus, our lives were broken. The Bible tells us, we see in, in Genesis, that God created us and He created us perfectly in Genesis 1 and 2, and we had this perfect relationship with Him. But in Genesis 3, we see this disobeying of God, this falling away, this sin that ruined that relationship that we once had with God. Now, God gave Adam and Eve one command. It was very simple. Do not eat of this tree. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you do eat from it, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, 
when we read in Genesis 3 and they eat of that tree, we see God entering in and he, He's inquiring, hey, where are y'all at? Where are you? And what we don't see happen, but what we could see, I mean, this would make sense. We could see God entering in the garden and say, Adam, Eve, where are you? And he has a sword. And he just looks at them and says, you disobeyed. Because you disobeyed, you will die. And he just looks at Adam and he says, I'm going to start with Eve. We could imagine this happening. You sat, you sat by, watched her eat of this tree and didn't say anything. So I'm going to take her life first. And then after he takes her life with that sword, he turns to Adam. And then he takes his life. Because they sinned, because they were broken. And that would have been just. But God did not get rid of us or replace us. He actually, in that account, he killed two animals to provide clothing for them as the start of this process of restoration. Now, part of that restoring process, part of us being restored into a relationship with God, a huge part of that is found in God convicting us of sin and ungodly habits in our lives so that He can refine us, He can change us to make us be more like Him. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, we see that this chapter is all about confession and repentance. See, sin leaves damage in our lives, and repairing that damage is never easy, but it's very important. In, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, we see that the people are wearing sackcloth and they have dust on their heads. This is demonstrating seriousness of their sorrow. See, in chapter 8, the people responded to God's word by mourning and weeping, but then they were commanded to not mourn because they were celebrating this festival of tents. They had to focus on the joy that was coming from the Lord's forgiveness. But in chapter 9, the festivals come to an end, and now the Israelites were called to confront their sin. So we see right away in verse 1 and verse 2 that they, they have, they're fasting, they're wearing sackcloth, they have dust on their heads. This is showing sorrow. These were outward signs of mourning. Now, when we confront our sin, we, we must first deal with sorrow. We must be heartbroken over our sin. And then in verse 2, it says they, they separated themselves. They, they separated themselves from foreigners. And so they stood as their own people. And then it says that they confessed their sins and their iniquities. Their sins and that of their ancestors. They, they did a public confession. Now, part of us dealing with sin in our lives is this acknowledgement, the sorrow of what we have done. Psalms 32, verses 3 through 5 says this, when, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
See, this, this just demonstrates for us when we don't confess sin, when we don't repent and publicly confess and acknowledge that sin before God and before others. Th- these verses in Psalms 32, it really describes like a hurting, like a, a, a heaviness. And, you know, we can, we can deal with that in our lives. Like, when we have sin that is unconfessed and unrepentant sin, it feels like there's a hand placed on you weighing you down. But that is why it's so important to confess our sin. Acts 3.19 says, Therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Now verse 3 shows us how they went about this. It says, They spent about a fourth of the day reading the law of God, then another fourth of the day confessing their sin and worshiping God. And, and, And let's see the big principle here. It's the word of God through the Holy Spirit, convicts us of sin and prompts us to confession. When we read God's Word, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us areas in our life that are not up to par. When we go throughout our day and we're meditating on that, meditating on what we've read, meditating on the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us, hey, these are things in your life that don't need to be there. And that leads us to confession. Now, in chapter 9 of Nehemiah, we see the confession of their sin began in a very unusual way. If you look at verses 4 and 5, you see that that there was a group of Levites and they were standing on this platform, the platform that they had built for the reading of God's Word. And then they began to loudly shout, it says, to God. And, and they began to pray to the Lord, kind of like they were leading the group in this, in this prayer. And so, this was, a, again, this corporate confession. Now, this is something that, you know, if we did it, we would consider it would be weird and it would make us un, uncomfortable. But what corporate confession is, it, it's, it's a public thing, but it's distinct from, you know, other types of confession or sin, right? Um, it, it's not like a, a individual where they're, they're publicly coming up um, in front of their church and they're like, hey, I've been struggling with this. I need to confess this sin. And this is an individual confessing to people corporately that this is not what we're seeing. What we see here is this is an, the, the group of people corporately confessing the sin of the community sins that are common to the community now this is not this is not something that is commanded in scripture but we do see that it is modeled as an appropriate way to repent to repent of a common sin that is in the community of people before god now in verses 6 through 15 we see that the people begin their morning by praising god now, this may seem strange to us to begin a prayer of confession of sin in this way, but for us to properly confess our sin to God, we must know who God is and approach Him in the proper way. They, they begin, when we see in Nehemiah chapter 9, if you look in verse 5, it says, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 6 says, You, Lord, 
or the only God. You created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their stars, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and all the stars of heaven worship you. See, in these verses, the people, they recognize all that God had done for his people from choosing Abraham to delivering him to um, this prompt to promising him this land to delivering Israel out of Egypt to giving the law to Israel and even how he provided water and food for his people in the desert. We see in these verses that they are acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. But then we move to verses 16 through 31. And, and those verses go on to tell us of the faithlessness of the people of Israel. How they constantly strayed away from what God wanted them to do. How they were repeatedly turning away from the commands of God. But what we also see here is how God continue to remain faithful to them. If you read in verse 16, it says, But our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and did not listen to your commands. Verse 17 says, They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders. You performed among them. They became stiff-necked and appointed a leader. So this is recognizing what they had done, how they, they turned away. But verse 17 goes on to say, But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. And they go on and on in these verses to follow, recognizing how their ancestors had turned away and disobeyed God, but then how God remained faithful. See, reflecting on God's track record gave Israel a foundation for the future. When they recognized God's consistent faithfulness, they could be confident in their future with Him. Verse 28 says, and they're talking about God, when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. God cared for Israel despite their rebellion, and he does the same for us. Verse 28 says, but as soon as they had relief, they again did what was evil in your sight. So you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion. Israel was not just mourning how their sin affected others, but it was how their sin affected their relationship with God. See, any unrepented sin in our lives can cause a relationship, cause a, uh, cause a rift in our relationship with God. See, we, like Israel, we fail God daily, but we also see God's love daily through His faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful to Him. This prayer was one of remembrance of the faithfulness of God as well as repentance. In verses 32 through 37, it switches to reflect the current situation that Israel was in. They recognized that they needed God's help to fix the situation that they were in. It changed from their past, what their ancestors had done to the present and their sin. See, sin damages our relationships. It can ruin families. Sin can ruin communities. It can ruin churches. It can destroy jobs. And only God can fix these problems. 
In the final verses, we see the people rededicating themselves to their covenant to God. If you read through here, in verse 36, it says, Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors, so that they could enjoy its fruits and its goodness. Here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us because of all our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. See, they, they recognized what they were in. They recognized the situation they were in because of their sin. And then the final verse, verse 38, it says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. They were rededicating the covenant. They were rededicating themselves. See, they were already in a covenant relationship with Him, but they still needed to do this. See, sin caused them to stray away from their commitment to God. And it can do the same thing for us. Sin causes us to stray away from that commitment that we made to God. And so, when we have times of confession of sin and repentance, it can prompt us to remind ourselves of that covenant we made with God as believers when we chose to make Him the Lord of our lives. And it, in that, that, that moment where we're confessing and repenting of sin and we remember that covenant we made, it gives us a reminder of the newfound purpose in Him. So this recommitment that they made, this, this binding agreement, was not getting them the covenant relationship with God, but this was them reaffirming, hey, we have sinned and this is our reaffirming that we are going to live the way God wants us to live. And that they were going to live in the purpose that He had for them. Sin seeks to destroy the restored relationship we have with God. But despite our constant failures, God remains faithful. We need His conviction of sin in our lives. We need to feel that sorrow, but we don't need to stay in that sorrow. Our sin damages the image of God we are to portray in this world. So to live a restored life in this world, it must start with the repentance of sin. And that is our scripture of the week, Nehemiah chapter 9. Now we're going to jump into our next segment, which is You Asked, We Answered. So during this segment, we uh, collect questions from other youth, parents, and we try to answer them um, during this segment of the podcast. So the question that we were given for this week that we're going to look at is, can you address the He Gets Us Super Bowl commercial? So... This has been a hot-button topic um, all over the Internet. Levi, have you seen anything about it on the Internet? Yeah, I've seen the commercial from the Super Bowl. Yeah, so th there are people, like, all over talking about this, talking about, oh, they love it, they hate it, everywhere in between. So if you, if you didn't get a chance to see the Super Bowl ad, um, we, we just watched it just a few minutes ago, so it would be fresh in our minds. But I, I just want to describe it for you. I'm going to do the best I can to describe it. but um, So the ad opens with different scenes um, depicting pictures of people washing each other's feet. 
And so it's different individuals washing other individuals' feet. So we see like what appears to be a son washing the feet of his father. There's a police officer washing the feet of an African-American young man. Um, there's like a girl like at a school who kind of looks like she's popular maybe. You know, she has nicer clothes, all that. Washing the feet of a girl who is clearly in like a different social group, right? Um, maybe an outcast or, or whatever. Um, there's people of different races washing each other's feet. Um, there's a picture of a woman outside of an abortion clinic having her feet washed by what appears to be like a mom, like someone that is a mother. Um, there's alcoholics having their feet washed. There's people of other religions and faith. There's Muslims having their feet washed. There's um, pictures of people in like the homosexual lifestyle. They're having their feet, wa feet washed by what appears to be like a priest. So someone representing the other side of an issue. Um, there's all kinds of these pictures, right? And then at the end, we see these words appear. It says, Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet. He gets us, all of us. So Levi, you, you just watched this just a few moments ago. What are your thoughts on seeing this ad? Like what, what comes to your mind? What do you think it's about? That, that sort of thing. Anybody can help others wash away their sins. Okay, so anybody can help others. Um, you know, we, we know that we know we can't like wash away well, yeah. their sins, right? We but, can lead them to someone who can. Okay, so leading them to someone who can. Okay, um, you know, watching any kind of commercial is what like a minute long, maybe. Yeah. I didn't really look at the time, but it didn't feel like it was long at all. It's hard to determine exactly what they were trying to say, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, your point is like, hey, you know, you can lead anybody to to the forgiveness found in, in Jesus. You know, that that's definitely your, your interpretation of that, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've talked to several different people and heard several different, well, oh, well, I got this from it, or I think it means this. So, so it's hard to, know, hard to know exactly what they were trying to get to, what they were trying to convey. But I think... One thing you can see for sure is you see like a love of those who are different than you, right? Yeah. Like this idea of washing oh, someone's yeah. feet, you are doing something for someone that is different than you. So it, it kind of seems to like a message reaching across the aisle to someone, you know, that's in a different lifestyle than you, humbling yourself, washing their feet. And then when you read those words, Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. It's definitely like, hey, show love, not hate. So they're taking this foot washing as like, hey, I am showing love by washing your feet. Now, what I want us to think about is, is the message they're conveying, one that a follower of Jesus should accept and promote, right? Mm. And I, I think if we just think about, hey, we should love others, right? If that's the point, hey, we should love others, we should serve others, there's a lot of scripture that backs that up so psalms 82 verses 2 through 4 says how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked provide justice for the needy and the fatherless uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute rescue the poor and needy save them from the power of the wicked proverbs 327 says when it's in your power don't withhold good from the one to whom it belongs Isaiah 117, learn to do what is good 
pursue justice, correct the oppressor, defend the rights of the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48, it says, You have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or there's, there's Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Or lastly, there's Luke 6, verses 35 through 36. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Now, I could keep going. There's so many other verses. I know I read yeah. a ton there. But Levi, from you just listening to me read those verses, what do you feel like the Scripture is saying and just those that I read that we are to do, we are to act? Like to um, not be mean to other people and like build them up, not tear them down. Yeah, so to love and to help others. You know, I, I think that last verse, you know, Luke six thirty five but love your enemies, do what is good, right? Like Jesus wants us, and and, you you can listen back through all those other scriptures that I read, and you can go read them yourself. Jesus commands us to love, to to love others, and to serve others. And I don't think anybody is debating that, right? I don't think anyone is saying, I don't think anyone's watching that commercial and or that ad, and they're like, God doesn't want us to love people. Like God doesn't want us to love someone just because they're an alcoholic or God doesn't want yeah. us to love someone because they are at an abortion clinic or they've had an abortion like that. Scripture doesn't teach that, right? All those verses we read, mm-hmm. we're supposed to love. But I think what a lot of people when they see this commercial I don't know about you, but you could tell me Levi if you you got this too, but it almost looked like the people that were washing the feet they weren't just showing love and serving, but it was like, oh, I accept you. Yeah. I don't know, you know, and I think some people are getting that, that feel for it, that, that there's like this idea of acceptance. And we'll get mm-hmm. to that a little bit later on. But, you know, what I want to talk about first is they, they've used foot washing. What is foot washing? Like, what does that signify in the Bible? Do you know? Like, mm-hmm. that you're, no, I don't think I do. Yeah, so... There's a few few places in the Bible we could look at. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 41, David was looking for a wife, and there's this woman named Abigail, and he sent his servants to be like, hey, King David wants you to be his wife. So they told her that, and she was like, hey, let me wash, you know, let me wash the feet of the Lord's servant, right? And, and so basically mm-hmm. it was like humility and servitude, like she was wanting to honor the king by, you know, washing his servant's yeah. feet. 
Um, then there's John chapter 12, where there's a story of Mary, who was one of the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is reclining at the table eating. She comes over with some perfume and like washes his feet with her hair and tears and then anoints his feet mm-hmm. with this perfume. You might have heard that story yeah. before. And so what she's doing here, it's there's love, there's admiration, there's gratitude for what he just did for her brother. And she's worshiping, worshiping Jesus for what he had done. Mm-hmm. So, so far we see like humility, right? Someone humbling themselves like, oh, you know, I'm your servant. So the first yeah. one. And then there's love and gratitude. Mm-hmm. So the final time that I want us to look at is the one we're going to focus on. Because the ad references Jesus washing feet. So in John 13, verses 1 through 20, we see the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. So I'm not going to read these verses because that would take way too long. But in the first five verses of that story, it kind of sets up the timing. So it says basically it was right before the Passover festival. So um, the Passover was this time where they celebrated God delivering them from Egypt. And then more importantly, though, it was also right before Jesus was going to give his life on the cross. So he was going to give his life on the cross for the sins of the world. And that's where the story kind of takes place. Mm -hmm. And so John in the gospel of John, he's been building up to this moment where Jesus would become like the lamb, the sacrificial lamb. And like right in the middle of Jesus' journey to the cross, it's like a pause and he washes the disciples' feet. So why does Jesus do this? Well, in verse one, and I do want to read this for us. Um, verse 1 it says before the Passover festival Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end so so what we see is a big motivation for Jesus washing feet is what? love right? but it's not just love so I think this commercial it's like hey Jesus didn't hate He washed feet. It's implying, hey, Jesus showed love. He didn't hate, right? Well, Jesus washing feet, love was a part of it. Mm -hmm. I I think we see that there. But I think it goes beyond love. It's also an example of serving. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples, these men, that no one is beyond serving. No follower of Jesus is beyond serving. None of us should ever say, hey, I'm too good for this or this is beneath me. Mm Mm-hmm. In verse 16, it says, Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus is teaching them how they need to act towards others. They need to serve. And in Luke 22, verse 24, we know that around the same time, there was the, the verse says, there's then a dispute arose among them about who would be considered the greatest. So, They were arguing about, hey, I'm going to be greater. I'm greater than you. Or when the kingdom of God comes, I'm going to be up Mm -hmm. here. You're going to be down here. And so around the same time, Jesus is like, no, I'm going to wash your feet. He's trying to teach them service. He's he's teaching them like, hey, being a part of God's kingdom, following Jesus, means that we need to serve others. And another thing that I think Jesus is trying to teach here is that there's no one that is above God being served like you know in the first couple verses 
Jesus mentions that Judas, or the, the verses mention that Judas is there. Yeah. Like it, it very clearly talks about Judas being there. And, and then it goes into he's washing their feet. He doesn't say, oh, he washed all their feet but Judas. Like in, in John, John 13, verse 2, it says, Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. So he knew that Jesus or that Judas had already made that decision, yet he still yeah. still washed his feet. So no one is like below being served. No one no one is too far gone. No one is so like bad of a sinner that we should not serve them. Yeah. But in verse fourteen, Jesus narrows the focus of our humbleness to the family of God. So I think there's some people that respond to this and they're like, oh, well, Jesus is talking about, you know, the disciples. And so people are Christ- that are Christians, like we need to serve others. But Judas was there, right? <laughs> Judas was there. He was going to betray him. And so, yes, we need to serve each other. You know, I should serve you, Levi. Mm-hmm. You should want to serve me. We should want to show that love towards each other, show that humility and not want to be above each other. But I think it also means we need to serve and love even those that aren't believers because yeah, Ju- Judas was there. Yeah. And so what Jesus is teaching them is humble service. And so humble service means that we're willing to be inconvenienced for someone else. And so, you know, Simon comes to him and, and he thinks, Oh, I got this figured out. Right. Like, Oh, I know what you're doing. And, you know, he's like, are you going to wash my feet? You know, and so basically he's like, hey, you know, don't wash my feet. I'm good. But Jesus says, hey, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. And what Jesus is doing is he's one trying to show him selflessness, show him, hey, this is what I've come to do. I've come to to serve. You know, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to be a king, anything like that. But he's trying to teach them, you know, he came to be selfless. He came to humble himself and to serve us. And if you think about it, he's demonst- Jesus is demonstrating why he came. He didn't come to be the king. You know, in just a few hours after this happened, he was going to serve humanity again by dying on the cross, taking on the sins of mankind. Mm-hmm. And so... And Jesus says Peter would understand what he was doing and washing their feet later after he went to the cross. So unless, you know, Jesus humbles himself as a servant, unless Jesus willingly, selflessly offered his life in Peter's place, Peter would not be able to follow him. And so that's what's being pictured here by the foot washing, is that Jesus came to serve in that way. And even so we should serve that way. And so we know that Jesus' sacrifice was necessary. Him humbling himself to the cross was necessary so that we could follow him. There's a verse in Philippians 2, it's verse 5 through 11. It says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I mean, th- think about what that says about him. Yeah. He humbled himself. Like, he left heaven to humble himself to be like us. Mm-hmm. Like, could you imagine like you serving someone that cost you that much? Like, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be hard for us to go serve people like at Mission Serve or something, yeah. and we had to give up a week of our summer. But Jesus yeah, gave sure. up heaven. And we see that Jesus wants us to have that same type of mindset. It, you know, it literally starts with adopt the same attitude as Jesus. So, then we see in verses 12 through 15 of John 13 that he washed their feet, right? He, he washed their feet and what he was doing was giving them an example and that they need to do what he has done. His exact words are, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, are, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. And so we can't be humble. We can't be servants like that on our own. Like We need Jesus yeah. to help us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. So that's a lot of, uh, I talked a lot to get to, hey, you know, let's address this Super Bowl ad, right? Um, I think one of the major ideas that's in this ad is serving those who seem to be unservable or loving people who are unlovable. And I yeah. think that's 100% following the, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus and even kind of what he was demonstrating when he washed his disciples, his disciples' feet because he even washed Judas' feet. Yeah. You know, Jesus served. Um, not just those who deserved it. He loved not just those who deserved it. You know, the, the, the idea of, you know, the idea of there being some of us that are too much for us to, the idea that there are some of us that it's just too, we're, we've done too much mm-hmm. that, to, to be saved. Like all of us are sinners, right? Yeah. Um, so we need to humble ourselves, right? And serve them and show them love. So I think another thing that could be taken from this, though, is that the ad is trying to say, hey, we need to accept people. Yeah. Like them washing their feet was like they, they're Acceptance, accepting yeah. their lifestyle. Like, oh, you're an alcoholic, but I accept you, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that is not what Jesus is teaching when he's washing feet. You know, this was not an approval of Judas's actions, right? This was not an approval of the disciples' actions. This was Jesus humbling himself and serving. And Jesus wasn't about, oh, I love you. I'm going to accept you. You know, Jesus started his ministry. We see in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means to stop doing what you're doing, like to change your mind and be like, hey, I'm not going to think about my sin and my actions the way I want to but think about it the way God does and then change my actions to view sin the way that God views sin. And so to call people to repent and to change, that's not hate, right? Mm. You know, in Nehemiah 9, we're going to talk about repentance. Or we just talked about repentance. That's so, so important to being a Christian is turning away from sin. 
Yeah. And you, you know, if I see you doing something and it's sin, if I come to you and be like, hey, you need to repent, you need to turn away from that, I'm not hating you. No, you're just showing me the right path I need to take. Yeah, that that's like the ultimate way of forming, uh, of showing love, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess to sum everything up, right, there's three things that I want to say about this ad. One. Jesus absolutely commands us to serve others in an act of following his lordship in our lives. And the reason we do that is in hopes of sharing the gospel with them, right? Because for Jesus, he was like, hey, what I'm doing, you're not going to understand. He was talking to Peter, but later you will. Because he was demonstrating his service and he was ultimately going to show that on the cross. So Mm -hmm. we are called to serve others in hopes that we can share the gospel. So I think this commercial is right in that point. We should serve all people regardless of their sin, regardless of what they do, we need to serve them. And ultimately, we serve them by sharing the gospel with them, yeah. right? We need to meet them where they are, serve them right where they are. We shouldn't expect someone that's an alcoholic to be, all right, you stop drinking, then I'll share the gospel with you. No. Second thing, we should never accept sin even when we show love and serve those in sin. We love them but we should never love their sin. And so what I think this commercial didn't really get right or it could appear to not be right was when we serve and show love to others, we still don't accept the sin and make it seem like that that's okay. Yeah. Like we love them and we serve them, but we have to hate the sin because God hates the sin. Mm-hmm. So serving should and never is an acceptance of sin. Instead, we're called to point them to Jesus. Again, a call to repentance is not hate. It's the definition of love. And so the last thing. The ad itself is put on by, you know, he gets us, right? That's the organization. Now, Jesus, he does get us. In Hebrews, it talks about how he went through all the trials, all the temptations that we went through, yet he did not sin, right? He did not sin. He gets us, but he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He came to save us. He came to call us to repent, to live a restored life in Him. Jesus even said in John 10.10, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So Jesus didn't just come to get you where you are. He came to save you and to give you an abundant life. Mm. So that's my response to this commercial, um, this ad. Levi, you got any questions, anything that you don't understand or anything you'd like to? No. Hopefully that makes a little bit more sense, like how yeah. we need to view that ad, you know. There's a lot of things that I think are good in it, but also a lot of things that are bad. I mean, who is that commercial for? You know, if, you, if you're saying, hey, that commercial's for Christians, then I think that's a great commercial. Yeah, we need to serve people yeah. even when they sin different, but... I think they were targeting people that weren't Christians. That could be very, very confusing. Yeah, because it, it, it'd be weird if someone just came up to me and started washing my face. Right, right. But, you know, if it's someone that's not a Christian and they're like, oh, I'm accepted just how I am. Well, you need to repent, yeah. right? That, that's how we come to Christ is we repent of our sin, put our faith and trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we live for him as the Lord of our life. You can't do that if you're still living in that sin, if you think that's okay. And so I I think it's very important to know who they're talking to. Exactly. So anyway, uh, we spent 
enough time talking about that, we are going to move on to our third and final segment, which is our guest interview. <laughs> I love doing that. Britain's yeah. not here, so I get to play around with it. But we have Levi with us today. And thank you. You know, you, you've been very interactive. Usually I have Britain to, to bounce some ideas and things off of. But mm -hmm. Levi is here with us. And Levi, what grade are you in? Eighth. Eighth grade. So he's in his final year of middle school, getting ready mm -hmm. to move on up. But Levi's been very active ever since he joined the youth ministry um, when, when he came into sixth grade. What was... For you, try mm -hmm. to think back. This is a little while ago, all right? all right? You're in fifth grade. Summer just started. So you get, you know, summer before your sixth grade year. What were you most excited about? What were you most looking forward to? To get through that year so I could become a sixth grader and come to youth. So, so what specifically were you excited most about, about being with the youth? Like, was there one thing? Well, interacting with the other people that are in this group and then learning about more intense stuff about the Bible that I didn't learn in the um, other class, yeah, the, now, the elementary class. Now, for, for you, you know, I know that there weren't many kids in your grade, right? You know, for, for the kids' ministry, for whatever reason, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes the, the kids kind of ebb and flow, right? So mm -hmm. as far as fifth graders, there weren't many fifth graders when you were in there, no, right? there's just a couple. So that kind of makes it hard, you know, you, to to even attend the, the kids' ministry, right? Because yeah. you're like, hey, there's two other kids my age. But, you know, you, you get into – so you're like the oldest, right? Yeah. You're, 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 you're the top dog. You're the oldest one. and But you're looking forward to the youth ministry. How was it coming in and now you're the youngest? Um, well, it was awkward at first because I didn't know nobody. And I didn't really know what y'all were doing and stuff in the class until I got used to everybody. I became to know you better because I came to this class and got to know what we were doing. Yeah. So did you get to start in the summer, or did we start that after you moved up? I think it's after I moved up. Yeah. So one thing we do now, like, because it was, it, it is hard. Yeah. You don't know what we do. You don't really know many people. Like, you may know some people because you see them around church and stuff, and, you know, yeah. you'd seen me. Um, but now, and th this is really cool, we let... The, the summer in between yeah. fifth and sixth grade, come to you know, we'll, we'll let them come on Wednesday nights and hang out with us. And, and I think that helps a lot. Yeah, because you get to know more people faster and you get to build a relationship with others. Yeah, and another cool thing, and I didn't think about this until someone talked to me about it, one of the sixth graders from that are sixth grade this year. Mm -hmm. They got to meet some other people that were going to be in middle school with them so they saw other people in the hallways, uh, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they knew the people that were in their class, you know, or even the people at church that were in their class. But I even have somebody like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I knew Levi and I was able to see Levi and recognize Levi. You know, yeah. they, they were able to meet other people in the youth group when they went into middle yeah. school. They could see them. And that kind of helped them transition yeah. because that can be, I mean, that's scary going from elementary school to middle school. That, that can be a, a scary it's different. It's just you know? a different area because you're used to being in a, the same building that you've been in for five years, and then you just go to a completely different building, completely different teachers, and then you just have to get to know everybody the same way. Yeah, and, and you're also you're changing classes, and you, you yeah, didn't yeah. do that before. So ha having having like people that you can recognize, even if they're not in your grade, but it you can just you. see them, that, that, that definitely is a big help. So um, 
And then another thing you you mentioned was like the more in-depth teaching, yeah. right? Like we we definitely, you know, I, I we don't split up middle school and high school like we all stay together. So we we go, you know, we we just teach, you know, we teach yeah. through the Bible and uh but one thing I'm glad that we started now because there's always things that people don't understand, but now we yeah. have these questions, you know, on the yeah, podcast where people ask. can like, "Hey, I really don't get this." You know, I got a really really good one uh this afternoon I'm excited about uh, maybe getting to next next week. I don't know. Um, but it just came up from a couple of lessons. Someone was like, hey, I don't really get this. Can you explain it? Oh, yeah. And so that, that helps. But, you know, when we have those young sixth graders move up, it can be different, <laughs> you know. Because um, it's awkward because they don't know anybody in the youth and then we don't know them. So then we have to rebuild our relationship. Yeah. But is there anything that helped you build relationships with other people in the youth group like faster is there anything that we the games that we have like pool and ping pong and stuff i would just go and ask them if they wanted to play and then we just talk about random stuff yeah so that's a really really good point so in in our youth area our youth space we have like ping pong tables foosball pool Um, we have like an axe throwing thing now that that wasn't here when you came up but you know we have these different types of things and for the first 10 15 minutes we just hang out play music whatever but you know you brought a really good point that allows not just i'll look at it because i'm an adult right and i'm a leader yeah like oh i can build relationships with y'all like i can you know pull y'all aside and talk to you or i can like play pool with you but it's so cool that you brought up that's how you can get build relationships with some of the other youth that are in the group some people i never talk to i just ask them if you want to play a game and then they're like yeah and then we just start talking about some stuff we've done and then we just keep building our friendship yeah that's awesome man like i i never really thought about that from that perspective so thank you for sharing that that's really cool um what what about some of our activities there anything else like anything that we do specifically that has helped you like grow closer to people um well we used to have the games on wednesday night like after we would all sit down we would do like kind of like the jeopardy games or whatever where you'd ask us how to like how what words like elf on the shelf remember that yeah, yeah. stuff like that yeah we still do that some so that, that's fun that's a we, we do that not as often um yeah. but we did one last wednesday can't remember if you were here or not no i had soccer players. um yeah that's right so we we every once in a while we'll, we'll do games um i talk a little bit more than i used to so yeah. i needed a little bit more time for our lessons but which is good and our small groups you know we added yeah, that we have small groups. so i did want to talk about since britain's not here i want to talk about what do you think about our small group? So, so Britton, um, he's our co-host. He's normally here on the podcast. One of our small group leaders. Um, he is with our middle school boys. So w- yeah. what do you think about the small group time? Well, I like it better because there's less people, and then you can ask more questions in during that period of time so that if, like, somebody doesn't want to hear a question or an answer, like, in the big classroom, when we're all together, if somebody – has a question but they're scared to ask it when we go to small groups we can ask it without getting embarrassed or something about it yeah exactly and, and that's the whole point for that because yeah. you're you're in a smaller group you're with people your age and even your gender because that sometimes you yeah. want to ask a question that could be weird if there's girls present right you're like well i don't really want to ask that question for whatever yeah. reason you know maybe you want to ask a question but about girls about dating or whatever you can't do that yeah but the small groups yeah. it allows you to do that and and then we all, since we're boys and we're all in middle school, we all have done, like, the same stuff so we can all relate to the same things. Yeah. 
that, that's awesome man. and that again that that was the whole point um you know of us wanting to do that and we're trying to get better still because you know we have middle school girls middle school boys and right now all of our high school is together so if you're listening to this and you would like to if you're a man or a woman you'd like to come help us with some small groups yeah. i will do a selfless plug we need your help yeah. because listen to levi it, it's helpful to him to yeah. be able to be in that smaller environment where he can actually talk more openly well, and britain he asks different questions than you would sometimes and he's like because it's a different perspective that you can see yeah. on the question, and then you have a better answer. Yeah, I know there was one time he, he, he talked about, um, we, we were going through Nehemiah, and we talked about how Nehemiah responded. You know, he got yeah. angry, and then he, you know, waited. And I know y'all had a really good discussion about anger yeah. and, you know, how to respond. And, you know. Because he would ask yeah. us what kind of anger we would do through that week, and then we would tell him, and then he would tell us how, what we should do next time and how to fix that yeah. and be like Nehemiah. That's awesome, man. And, and again, you know, you, you can't do that in the large group always. Yeah. You, know, you need that small group time. So um, so thank you for sharing that. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Is, is there anything you would like to, before we jump off here, uh, before we end our episode, anything you would like to say, ask, um, anything? Um, go subscribe to my YouTube channel, ProGamer235. <laughs> I'm the best gamer on YouTube. Uh. Um, but other than that, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> I got you. All right, plug in the YouTube channel. Yeah. Right, I, I appreciate it. Well, uh, Levi, thank you for being here. Thank you for mm-hmm. for sharing. Um, we're gonna pray, and then we will end our episode. So, so let's pray. God, just thank you so much for Levi. Thank you for the conversation we had. Thank you for his input. And God, just pray that everything that we talked about and discussed would uplift you and glorify your name.